Thank you for listening to this Table Church Sermon Podcast. Our sermon series is called Rhythms of the Soul, and we're exploring some of the habits and practices that connect us with God. We believe that you can have a walking, talking relationship with God, and this series is all about helping you do just that. We pray you find this sermon helpful in some way. Feel free to reach out by emailing us at hello at tablechurchdsm.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everyone. Um, My name is Julie, and I'm particularly proud of myself, so I've been backpacking in the Grand Canyon for this last week, so I was a little nervous about those stairs, but I made it up here without a problem. But if you see me walking slowly, um, you'll know why. But uh, it is really good to be here with you today. Um, we're going to be in Matthew 18. And uh, I might invite, if, it, if there's anyone who would like a Bible, please go ahead and raise your hand and we'll bring one to you. Um, but as we look at Matthew 18, we'll be in 21 through 35. And um, as one of the earlier songs mentioned, I just had it. Uh, impressed upon my heart that line that said awake my soul and so let's go ahead and just have that be our collective invitation today as we read the scripture to awake our collective uh, soul so Matthew eighteen twenty one. then Peter came to Jesus and asked Lord how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me up to seven times Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you, unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand and somebody will bring you one, okay? All right, now uh, I'm going to tell you a story. It's about 20 years old. So about 20 years ago, I was at a Christian music festival. How many of you have been to Sunshine 
in Minnesota. There are some hands. There are some hands. So I, when I was a teenager in a college, went to Sunshine every year. And um, one year I was there, and I was there for like the big event, like the last big headliner late at night on the last day, and it was Michael W. Smith. Okay, now for any of you who do not know who Michael W. Smith is, we'll put a picture of him up for you, okay? That's what he looks like today. And then just for fun, if you do know who he is, here's a picture of him from back in the day. All right? This is from back in the day when you had like between two and five tapes that you kept in the console in your car and like that was just what you listened to over and over again, okay? This is like the go west young man phase of his career. All right, so Michael W. Smith gets on the stage and he says straight out before any music gets played or anything, they're like, Michael W. Smith, and he comes out and he says, all right, I got to get something out of the way before I'm going to be able to play this show for you. And he starts to play the familiar chords of his most requested song. We had some really good suggestions in the volunteer service earlier this morning. What that was. What do you think it was? What do you think is the most requested? Yes. Yes. Friends. Friends is the most requested song that he gets. And so he just went ahead and played Friends first thing before anything else happened. And everybody in the audience, like thousands of people, they join arms and they're swaying and it's so beautiful. And then he's like, we're done. Okay? Like that's over. (laughs) And he knows that if he's going to play a show and not play Friends at some point in the set, then by the time they get to the end of the show, there's going to be all these people out there who are like, play Friends, right? And so he just gets it out of the way, get it out of the system, and now we can have the actual concert. That's how he handles it, all right? Now, I thought of that kind of dumb story as I was putting this message together Because there's an ultimate point that I want to get to. There's an ultimate place that I want to get for this message. But I know that there is some stuff that we need to cover first before we get there. Because if I don't say it at the outset, then everybody's going to be thinking about it the whole time I'm talking. (laughs) Okay? So, um, So keeping that in mind, I want to talk about pardon today. Pardoning offenses. Okay, that's where we're going to get to. But of course, forgiveness is very closely tied to pardon, isn't it? It's included. It's inside there. So before we move on to talking about pardon, we're going to just stay here for a bit and talk about forgiveness. Okay, And I have brought some stuff for you straight out of our discipleship pathway, all about forgiveness. Okay? So here's a bit of a list that I put together just like straight up out of the stuff that we have in our pathway. Number one, forgiveness isn't just an apology, right? There's something different between just saying something, performatively just saying something, and then actually doing something. They're different things. Okay, forgiveness doesn't erase the event or the consequences. Forgiveness is handing over a burden that's too heavy for you to bear, right? Like when you hold on to unforgiveness, Bitterness starts to grow, makes you really feel unhealthy, and it starts to affect everything in your life because you are not meant to hold on to offenses. You're not meant to hold on to that stuff. And when you do, it makes you sick. Okay. 
Forgiveness is an obedience practice. We do it because God tells us to, and we trust that it's good for us. We just do it because God says it's good for you. All right. Number five, freedom and healing are never dependent on what other people do or say. Forgiveness does not have to involve an exchange between people. You don't have to get to a point where the two of you are on the same page to work it out. You don't. That's not what forgiveness ultimately is. And Dallas Willard would always say, there are three things that forgiveness does not mean. And they tie in with all of this. This is forgiveness does not mean I stop hurting. It does not mean I forget what happened. It does not mean I treat the person exactly as before. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about forgiveness. And this series is all about rhythms of the soul. And forgiveness is a rhythm. It's a way of moving through our day that we can get in sync with. Now, we picture forgiveness often as this solitary event, even a bit transactional, like when a kid takes a toy, and then the other kid says, that makes me feel bad. And then this kid says, I'm sorry. And this kid says, I forgive you. Right, and then they move on. Okay, and that's not trite, that's not silly, that's like, that's practicing forgiveness. That's giving small people the tools that they will need to practice this art of forgiveness all throughout their life, right? That's how you start. You start there with those really elemental things and then build and build and build on it throughout your lifetime. All right. Matthew 6. When Jesus is telling us how to pray, he's telling us the stuff that we're going to pray every day. This is the prayer that comes in and out of us like breathing, right? The Lord's Prayer. In that, there is this very clear way of living your life that Jesus lays out for us where he says, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors, okay? Just every day, you're going to need to pray that like you eat bread and drink water every day. And the more interactions that you have with someone, the more offenses can pile up in your relationship. Yes? Yes? So the people that you live with, the people that you know the most, these are the people where this stuff can really start to build up over time. In those ongoing relationships, forgiveness is much less this like one and done, I forgive you kind of thing. And it is much more a lived practice, like eating bread and drinking water, all right? It's a rhythm to your day, and you get better and better at it over time when you practice this with each other. We don't allow offenses to get in the way of our brother or sister's faces. We move them out of the way fast. When something comes between you, you have God move it out of the way, all right? Now, does that mean that we repress our problems or ignore them? No, of course not. Don't confuse forgiveness with the work it takes to cultivate a healthy relationship. They are not the same thing. Forgiveness is not work. It's surrender. Forgiveness is key, but it's not the whole. Conversations and reparations are much easier much more productive when we forgive each other on the front end, not when we work it out to the point that we feel like we've got resolution and we can forgive each other. You forgive each other first, 
and then you work it out. It's a much better way of looking at it. Trust is earned. Forgiveness is not. We just forgive. And if you can model that with the people that you live with, the people that you know the most and know you the most, it will dramatically change your relationships. Amen? And this is just really practical life stuff right here. The more you practice forgiveness with the people closest to you, the more quickly it will come for people you don't know as well. Okay? If we practice a rhythm of forgiveness with the people we see the most and the people who see the worst of us, we'll start to find it easier to walk through daily life without taking on extra burdens. How many of you have AirPods or like Bluetooth earbuds that you use throughout the day? Get lots of hands. Okay. I have a couple different pairs of AirPods until you think I'm a jerk. I just got a pair for free one time, like when I bought a new MacBook. So it's not like I bought two sets for myself, but I have two sets. So I always have a set to use. I've always got a spare and I keep them in my ears most of the day, even though I'm not listening to something, just because it's nice to be able to get my notifications in my ear and keep my phone far away from me. That's just what I like to do, especially while I'm working. And so I will be walking throughout my house, getting stuff done, and I'll think of something that I need to remember, and I'll say, hey, Siri, you know, can you uh, remind me to call Phil at 2 o'clock and tell him about that thing? Or, hey, Siri, can you put an event in my calendar for Wednesday the 13th? You know, you do this all day long. It just kind of becomes what you do so that you don't have to pick up your phone so often. All right, so I use Hey Siri all the time. If I've accidentally activated anybody's Hey Siri, I'm sorry. Hey Siri? Okay. Um, it happens all the time when I talk to my dog, I'll say, hey, sweetie. And Siri's always like, yes. So what I've noticed is that when I use Siri, I will tell Siri to do something for me. Siri does that thing. And then I almost always say, thank you, like out loud. By myself, I tell this robotic voice, thank you. And it sounds ridiculous, and I can't really get myself to stop doing it, but it is because long ago, uh, when my husband Jim and I were engaged, we were in this discipleship group with a couple of other engaged couples, and for this year, we got really intentional discipleship with this amazing couple. And in that time, they showed us a short video that had a huge impact on us that basically was like a playful way of explaining why it's important to just say thank you for like everything. Just say thank you. Just build the practice of saying thank you in your marriage, in your home. So every time that your spouse does something, uh, whether they intended to or not, that is helpful to you, anything like that, you say thank you for big things, small things, doesn't matter. You're just constantly telling each other thank you. And then that sort of feeds its way into your family, and then um, eventually it just becomes a way that you live your life. You're just grateful. You're just practicing gratitude. You notice stuff that people do, and you say thank you, okay, to the point that you can't get yourself to stop telling Siri thank you. I said in the other service, Siri never, ever says anything back. She's never like, you're welcome. I should train her to say you're welcome. I think I'm able to do that. So uh, she never does. But also, before I move on, any of you who do use AirPods like that, do you ever just walk through your house kind of feeling like Tony Stark? <laughs> you know, just like asking for this machine to do stuff for you, and it does it. Okay, Apple knows what they're doing. 
Gratitude is a habit you can start doing without even thinking about it. And so is forgiveness. It is. You can start to do it before you even think about what you're doing. You can get there. I've endeavored to do this in my daily life with my family, coworkers, strangers. I cannot estimate how many times in a week I have some sort of difficult encounter of some time and I of some kind and I just kind of take five seconds to work through this really quick like act of forgiveness in my head so that it doesn't even stick to me. Okay. That's what I try to do. That's how I try to live my life. And by the way, my husband Jim and I are about to celebrate our 20th anniversary on June 8th. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> It hasn't been hard to get here. Um, I could not agree more with this advice that Ruth Bader Ginsburg got from her mother-in-law on her wedding day. This is what her mother-in-law said to her. She said, in every good marriage, it helps to be a little deaf. Which is true, isn't it? It's true. Here's the shift to the bigger question that I want to ask today. The way of Jesus is forgiveness for every offense. That's just an obedience thing. It is what we do. It's a rhythm to how we live our life. But what if we practice not taking offense in the first place? What if we practice not taking offense in the first place? Not for all circumstances. Of course, there are some things that are just offensive. There are things that are offensive to God. Sin is offensive to God. This is about focusing on how we take offense. This is the art and the practice of being offended well. How to be offended in the way of Jesus. If you want to look at it like that. Now, we go throughout our day collecting these offenses, and we have to figure out what to do with them. Now, to illustrate that, I'm going to have Phil come out on the stage. So, Phil, would you come on out? Everybody clap for Phil. So, we go throughout our day collecting these offenses. You know, they start to pile up. Some weird thing happens between you and your spouse. Your roommate does that thing again right? You've got your, your kid says that thing that you've asked them not to say like again and again and again and again, right? Uh, you've got the weird way that your bank teller did what you asked them to do, but they were like annoyed with it, you know? Um, there's that way that your coworker did that thing with the way they sent you that email, and it absolutely drives you crazy, especially for me. My biggest offense is to write long emails to Phil. Phil hates it when I write long emails. And he's told me that, and I still do it sometimes, right? So there's all these ways that these offenses start to pile up, right? And, and as they do, you got to figure out, are you going to handle them one by one, think of it, and then forgive it and move on? Or are you going to, like, let them collect, right, and then deal with them later? Are you going to let them collect so much that you start to forget that they are there at all? right? Do you see how this works? You've got all these offenses, and then you got to figure out how to steward your offenses. You have to figure out what to do with them. All right, Phil, you can put them in the basket. That's fine. So as you go throughout your day, all these things happen that you cannot control. Most of them you cannot control, and you have to figure it out. And here's what I want you to hear, Okay. Many of us are so conditioned in environments of sameness that any intrusion of an alternative viewpoint or any level of opposition is received as a threat. Okay? 
we start to get really confused about the difference between a small thing and a big thing because everything that's an intrusion on what we want to be thinking about or doing at this moment starts to feel like a threat coming right at you. See how that works? All right. So here's that question again. What if we practiced not taking offense in the first place? Look what happens if you just are practicing this throughout your day. Does he have to take every offense? No, it's just not his circus and not his monkeys, right? See? <laughs> That's how it works. Okay, thank Phil. Thank you, Phil. All right, that is a rhythm that will grow your soul. Very few things that are likely going to happen to you in your day are an offense big enough that you must do something with it. Like you can actually ask of the Lord, ask of the Holy Spirit to begin to cultivate in you a discernment to know when something is worth catching and handling and when you can just let it bounce off, okay? Because other things are more important. Now, Albert Tate, he actually just talked about this last week on the Holy Post. He compared getting offended to the practice of working out. So he's talking about how when you first start to work out, let's say that you're on an exercise bike. That's using some muscles you do not use when you're not riding a bike, yes? So the next day, just like appropriately Julie mentioned when she read scripture, she did have a little bit of like, she took the stairs intentionally. Like she definitely very slowly walked up those steps. There are ways that we can use our muscles that by the next day you're thinking, I never want to do that again. But if you do do that again, if you do practice all of that resistance and rest, you start to grow. You start to get stronger. That is how it works. Okay? So for us in America, we are acting like relational couch potatoes. We are losing the ability to sit in resistance and stay. Tate said this, he said, as Christians, when it comes to these issues, we don't know how to be sore and recover. We get sore and get out. We act like being offended is the worst thing in the world. We're disgusted. We cancel people. Would you just sit down and relax? You got offended. You didn't get killed. We've created such idolatry around being offended that we forget the worst thing that can happen to you is not that you'd be offended. The worst thing that can happen is that you not love well the person that offended you. That is the worst thing that can happen. Lord, teach us to love well, to be offended well. A moment of offense reveals the fragility of our bonds to one another. It's not a life sentence. It just reveals how fragile your bonds are. In Christ, fragile bonds are meant to grow stronger. If a moment of offense reveals how fragile your bond is and it freaks you out a bit, just stay in that resistance and move through it. Don't bounce. In a moment of offense, you can ask yourself, how fragile is this bond that I have with this person? And is that state of fragility acceptable? Okay, is it acceptable? Should I just walk away? Sometimes yes, 
Or should I apply some discipline to make our bond stronger? Bonds strengthen like muscles. A consistent rhythm of resistance and rest is how we grow. So if you abandon the program, every time you get a sore muscle, you will never grow. Your bonds to your brothers and sisters, to Jesus, they can feel brittle. They can feel as if, uh, like over time you can say, I feel like we used to be in a pretty good place. Yeah? And then you can find yourself, there's balls everywhere, you can find yourself in a place where you think, how did we get here? Right? And it's because over time, we're moving one direction or another. We're either getting stronger or we're getting weaker. We don't stay static. Okay? Bonds strengthen like muscles. A consistent rhythm of resistance and rest is how we grow. Which bones would you rather have? I've got a picture here comparing healthy bones and brittle bones, okay? Some relationships that you have right now, you might have realized are more brittle than you thought they were, right? We can grow, we can heal. Jesus can fill that out, okay? It can happen. Resistance creates intimacy, strength, and health. Learn to take a hit. Some bonds are going to stay weak. Your relationship with your bank teller that looked at you that weird way when you asked that thing and they did it for you, but you could tell that they were putting off a vibe because they did not want to do it. That person is loved by God and deserves your love and respect. You should treat them with the utmost care, but they are not at your table you're probably never going to see them again, right? So you might be able to just let that go and walk away. Some bonds are going to stay weak. But the people that you live with, they're at your table. And the people of this church, we're at your table, all right? In Colossians 3, Paul reminds us who we are and how we have to live with each other. So especially apply these words to the people at your table, the people you live with and the people of this church. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So there's that first part, forgiveness. This is just a part of being in the family. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Let peace rule. Can you imagine Philip here with like a you know balls in his pockets and up here in his shirt and things like that? That is not a picture of someone who's letting the peace of Christ rule in their heart, is it? No. Embrace mercy. Be a little deaf, all right? Don't take the ball. You don't have to take everything thrown at you. Gregory Boyle will often say that we will often settle for forgiveness when the Lord is offering mercy. 
will often settle for forgiveness when the Lord is offering great mercy. Now, this is the story that I want to stick, the story of the prodigal son. You can imagine it. We all know it so well. When that son returns home, his father is waiting for him. He is prepared for him to get there. He runs out to meet him. He's undignified. And and all that he wants to do is what he does. He just wraps that son up and claims him like he was never lost. Now, that story, when you think about it, that is not a story of forgiveness, is it? I mean, forgiveness is included. Forgiveness is in there. It's intrinsic. But that's not ultimately that picture. That is not just a picture of forgiveness. That's the embrace of mercy and love. And that parable is telling us that that is who God is. That is all he ever does to us is embrace us in mercy and love, and it will change you and make you a person who embraces other people in mercy and love. And if you don't let him do that to you, your relationship with him is going to stay brittle. Your relationship with other people is going to stay brittle. Okay? Forgiveness is implied, but it's not included. It's just one part of this much bigger movement in that story. Forgiveness is an obedience issue. Mercy, you can think of mercy as restraint in the name of love. That is God's heart. Mercy is God's heart. Forgiveness is a bit like tithing 10% faithfully. You know, it's just something that you should do. It's good for you. It's good for everybody. We tithe. Forgiveness is like that, all right? Mercy is open-handed generosity, You see the difference? Like the bare minimum that you do is forgive. But God is calling you to do what he does, which is so much, infinitely more. Now, I don't have to qualify this, but I will. Should you allow yourself to stay in an abusive or dangerous situation? No. Should you expect other people to put up with your abuse? No, you should not. My one piece of advice for you is if you or someone that you know is in a situation where you're starting to question how much is too much, don't try to figure that out for yourself. Go see a professional and let them help you to know what to do, okay? Do not try to figure that out for yourself. But I can say this. Jesus will probably ask you to take more offenses than you are comfortable with, The parable that we began with today, it's in Matthew 18, and Peter asked Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive a person who keeps sinning against me? And he kind of expects that he knows what Jesus is going to say, but Jesus says not only seven times, but 77, meaning not just enough, not what's expected of you. Don't just meet a standard suggestion. Like, don't just tithe 10%. Jesus says infinite times. You forgive them infinite times. You never have a time that you stop practicing forgiveness. That's mercy. I love the details of that same story in Luke's narrative where it says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. And then it says, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. You know, that's an appropriate response. Jesus will ask you for more than you're comfortable with. He will direct you to do more than you are comfortable with. He will direct you to do things that are offensive to the world. He will direct you 
to live your life in a way that the people around you do not understand. All right? We got to learn to be offended well. All right, now, before we close today, I'm going to have you all stand up. And we're going to pray a really simple prayer together, and it's going to be on the screen. And I'm just going to have you pray it with me like we would in the beginning of the service when we pray the collective prayer. But as we do this, you don't have to take yourself too seriously, okay? But this is just a good moment to just lay some things out with the Lord if you would like to, all right? Everybody shake your sillies out. I know you've been really good and really quiet. Some of you are more eager to do it than others. Yes, so you've just been sitting still for a long time. All right, you all with me? Okay. We're going to pray this together. It will be on the screen. Let's pray it like we pray the collective prayer. Here we go. Dear God, while I've been sitting here, I'm thinking about people I don't like. You all know that you were. (laughs) Right? You all know that you were. You're thinking about those people. Okay. And sometimes I do things that other people don't like. Sometimes I hurt people. Teach me to feel the difference between a small thing and a real wound. Teach me to forgive. Teach me to practice pardon. Teach me not to take up things I shouldn't carry. Teach me to see people, not problems. Teach me to prefer to be loving more than being right. Amen.